And Lord, really, as we come here this morning, each one of us uh, comes here to entrust our lives into your hands, and, um, recognizing that you know we don't have as much control over our lives as we think we do. We're, we're, we're not nearly as strong as we think we are, and so we come here as a reminder that, that you are God and we are not. And, uh, and so we take our lives and our families and we, we lay them at your feet and, and trust you with us. And uh, Father, that's why we come to your word as, as well. We, we come to your word because we know that we're prone to wander. We know that we're weak and frail. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. And so we come to your word um, over and over again to receive that strength, to receive that guidance from you. And so, Father, we pray that now as we come to your word that, that you would do that work in and amongst us, that you would strengthen us by your word and that you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us through your word this morning. And, Father, we know that we all come with all these different feelings on our on our hearts and on our minds and things that could distract us and plans later today, all of these different things that could distract us from hearing you speak. And Father, we pray that for this moment, as we come to your word, that you would just uh, push all of that to the side, um, quiet those fears, quiet those anxieties, and help us to hear you speak uh, clearly and powerfully to us this morning. And so, Father, we ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we've already spent quite a bit of time talking about waiting. Waiting in airports and <laughs> waiting for the World Cup and waiting for apartments. And it, uh, it's something we probably should talk about more than just once a year during Advent. Um, what does it look like to wait in faith? Um, or as we're going to talk about this morning, what does it look like to wait in hope? And so um, we're going to look at Psalm 39 this morning. So I'll read it and then we'll, we'll dive in. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are present. But when I was silent and still not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me as I meditated. The fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You've made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He, he bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? Or for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I'm overcome by the blow of your hand. You rebuke and discipline men for their sin. You consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for help. 
Be not deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me, that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. Well, a couple weeks ago, I gave the illustration of, um, I talked about how there's two different types of waiting, right? That there's a, there's a fake kind of waiting, uh, uh, and there's a real type of waiting, right? There's a fake kind of waiting where you're waiting on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing that's waiting, right? Usually, the waiting's not coming out of your mouth either. Um, and so, uh, like a real true waiting is a, a waiting in body and in soul, um, and that's also true of silence. Um, that there's a silence that is anything but silent, right? Uh, most of you, I can say, most of you have experienced this probably from your mother. <laughs> a silence that was not silent, right? And here's a, this isn't an example just of, of moms as an example from anybody, but here's, here's kind of how this sometimes goes. Um, someone does something, to you or by you that annoys you and it, and it frustrates you. And you tell yourself, not a big deal. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm just going to keep silent. I'm not going to say anything. Not a big deal. Um, and then they do it again. 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 And you keep telling yourself, this is dumb. This is not a big deal. I'm just going to be quiet, Right? Not going to say anything. Um, but they keep doing it, and you keep getting frustrated about it. Um, and what's happening usually underneath that is you're being, you're, your mouth is shut, but all in your head and in your heart, there's a lot of things being said. <laughs> right? Like, if they leave that dirty plate out on the table one more time, I'm going <laughs> to... Or, right? Or... If they put that thing away in a ridiculous spot one more time, or what kind of, maybe not bleep, but whatever, does this kind of thing, right? And, and it kind of keeps running around, and you're, you're not saying it because you know it would be wrong to say it, but you're saying it. And you're saying up here, and, and your heart's feeling it, and uh, you kind of keep sitting there in that fake silence, and you keep telling yourself, and it just keeps stewing and stewing and stewing and stewing, and, and you start to get wound up, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Blah! <laughs> it comes out. Sometimes it's about, and like somebody like forgets, leaves a plate out, and then it's like, why are you doing that? And it just blows up, right? And they're like, it's just a plate. What's your problem? Because, and it's because like a fake silence isn't real silence. Like, fake silence is, isn't real. It, and it actually ends up resulting in loud yelling, usually. Um, where a true silence is a silence of body and soul, or mouth and mind and heart. And, and it's interesting because we get a glimpse into that in this, in this psalm. We get a glimpse. It starts off by talking about this kind of fake silence, doesn't it? He, he says, all right, I made this decision. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I'll, I'll guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Okay, so he says, I've, I'm making a commitment. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to guard myself, and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. 
Um, and I'm particularly going to keep my mouth shut when I'm in the presence of the wicked or sometimes you could be the presence of my enemies or something like that. I'm going to keep my mouth shut when I'm around them. And you might go, okay, why? Um, now, this is me speculating a little bit, but I, I think this is, this is right. Um, there's a couple reasons why you would keep your mouth shut in the presence of your, your enemies or in the presence of the wicked. The one is... Um, in the presence of your enemies, they're always kind of ready to misunderstand or misinterpret what you're saying. So you, you, you're kind of in the presence of someone who you maybe have tension with or, or frustration with, and, and you know that like whatever comes out of your mouth is going to maybe get twisted or distorted or maybe like turned back against you. And so you're like, you know what? I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to be quiet because I just don't want to have to deal with that. I'm just going to be quiet because there, anything I say is going to be used against me. And so I'm, just, I'm going to be quiet about this because I'm just, I'm tired of that, right? So that's one reason. The other reason is there's also this temptation when you're in the presence of someone who's like frustrating you or annoying you, there's a temptation that you're going to say something that you're going to regret, right? And so it's like, you know what? I'm going to keep my mouth shut so I don't say something that I'm going to regret. And so he, he makes this commitment. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to muzzle my mouth <laughs> so that I don't... I'm going to guard myself. I'm going to protect myself from like other people's attacks. I'm going to protect myself from saying something stupid. That's what I'm going to do. And then I love the progression of the next verse. He says, I was mute and silent. Like, it worked. I held my peace. You can tell like he's kind of holding it back. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke. <laughs> and you've all been there, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm doing good. I'm not doing so good. I'm doing worse. And then all of a sudden, and then I spoke. I said it. Um, but, but you can tell, right, he says, as I mused, or the NIV translated it, meditated, or maybe I would say stewed. As I stewed on all of this, I'm, I'm in the presence of all of this frustration and anger, and, and I said I was going to keep my mouth shut, but my mind kept stewing on it. I kept seeing it. I kept thinking about it. I, I was saying all of the things that were not coming out of my mouth. And the longer I kept it in, my heart became hot. And then all of a sudden, the fire burned. And then I spoke. And I, it just came out. Blah. But what, what, what I, what's really interesting is when he goes, it just came out. I had to say something. He doesn't say it to the wicked. Which you would expect. You would expect that, like, he's been seeing all of this stuff and it's been frustrating him. He's like, it comes out and he's like, here's what I've been wanting to say for so long. I'm just going to say it to you. But that's not what he does. It actually comes out in a prayer to God, which is a lot more helpful. <laughs> and he says, oh Lord, Make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a, a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who, what, who will gather. 
And I think we get a glimpse into what he was stewing on. Because it comes out in the, in the second half of, of his prayer. He says, Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. I think like this is what he's been stewing on, that he's been looking out at the world and seeing humanity hustling and bustling around, running around, toiling, frantically doing all of this stuff. And he's like, and you're doing it all for nothing. It's all going to fade away. It's all going to disappear. You're like shadows chasing after shadows. You're chasing after fame and money and wealth. and You're chasing after all of these things, and it's all fading away. It's all like a breath. It means nothing. And it's annoying him. It's frustrating him because he's watching people like, and it's hard, right? Because you're watching people chase after foolishness and it's frustrating, but then you're also sad because you're thinking, man, they're, they're just wasting their life. They're destroying it. And, and he's stewing on it and he's stewing on it. And then he speaks. And you would think, again, if he didn't direct it, since he directs it to his God, it changes how it comes out. Because if he just directed this at the people he was frustrated at, he would have said, you fools! <laughs> right? What are you doing? You're wasting your life chasing after all of these things. You know, bone, like he could have just yelled at him. But instead, he comes to God. And when you come into the presence of God and you open your mouth before him, you're forced to stop pointing the finger out there and start pointing it at yourself. And so rather than looking out at the world and saying, you boneheads, he says, Lord, make me know my end. What's the measure of, of, of my days? Let, let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths, and, and my life is as nothing before you, because all mankind stands as a mere breath. And so because he comes to his God, rather than looking out at the world and saying, look at those whatever, he says, no, Lord, I face that same temptation to chase after all of these things, to try to chase after all of these things that fade away and that disappear and really mean nothing. I face the temptation to just work, work, work for something that means nothing. Um, And he says, so Lord, you need to remind me that I am weak and I'm frail and I'm fading away so that I live rightly in the world. Um, Like, don't let me live in this world as if there is no God or as if I am God. (laughs) Help me to live in this world rightly. And then he says, he gets to the the theme of this, this passage where he says, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you, right? He answers his own question. Like, why am I waiting around? Because my hope is in you. And I think it's such a, like a countercultural answer. Um, have you ever heard anybody, I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say, life is short, so wait on God. Right? I, you know, I don't hear that. Most of what I hear is, life is short, like, go get it, right? 
All right. And like, get the most out of life. Do as much as you can. Get out there. Run around. Chase after things. Suck the marrow out of life because it's so short. Get as much out of it as you can. And yet, the psalmist says, no. Life is short. And all of that stuff really means nothing. It's fleeting. It's fading away. I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm not going to chase after that. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait on God. Um, and, and he waits on God because he says his hope is in God. And, and his hope is in God because God is the opposite of all of the things that he just talked about, all of the frustrations and all of the vanity that he's just seen in the world. And so he says, life is short, but God, you're eternal and unshakable. You've been from eternity and you will continue on for eternity. Therefore, I put my hope in you, not in the, the brevity of life. Or, or life is frail. It's like a breath or like a vapor. We've been seeing that. But he's like, but God, you're a, you're a firm, solid, unshakable, unmovable rock. Why would I put my hope in all of this breath? I'll put my hope in you. You're, you're my rock. Or, or, you know, humanity's running around, turmoiling in vain. He's, I just love that. They're, they're running around, working so hard and accomplishing nothing. But, but God is always at work, but he's always at peace, and he's always accomplishing his will. Like, could just take a moment. I just was thinking, like, could, wouldn't that be amazing if we, could, if we would work that way? Always at work, but always at peace and always accomplishing what we were doing? Like, that would be, that would be incredible. Um, and that's who our God is. And he says, so I'll put my hope in you. Rather than and all of this turmoil that accomplishes nothing, I'll put my hope in God because God is firm and unshakable. And, and actually hope in all of these other things that fade away is no hope at all. And so because he has hope in God, then he can wait on his God. And, and like I kind of have alluded to already, you know, faith and hope are connected, right? Because he has to have, he ha- you have to trust God before you can put your hope in him. You have to be able to, to not just know things about God, but know things and then trust him about it. And then that trust is a faith that gives you hope. And uh, I want to share a passage where it talks about Abraham um, in the book of Romans, and it describes his faith. And as I read this, watch how faith and hope are connected and connected with the promises of God. And so this is about Abraham. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, like two big strikes against the promise of God. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised that is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. You see how that all kind of connects together to, to give Abraham this hope? He's, he, he trusts his God, right? He's fully convinced that God is able to do what he says he's going to do, even if it seems ridiculous. I mean, 
If God came to you at the age of 100 with a wife who had never had kids for 100 years and says, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. Like, there's a reason why Sarah laughed. <laughs> like, yeah, right. But, but they believed eventually. They, they became fully convinced that God would do that because they knew who God was. They knew he's a trustworthy God. He will fulfill his promises. So they trusted in him. They put their faith in him. And then that stirred hope. And so then they lived the rest of their days in that hope. Even when it still seemed impossible. Even when God was telling Abraham to sacrifice the one son that he had. They still had hope because it was connected to their faith in God. And, and we see this just kind of going through the rest of the psalm that we're reading because the psalm ends by him asking for these things from God. He says, deliver me from all my transgressions. Don't make me the scorn of a fool. Remove your stroke from me. I'm, I'm spent. I'm worn out by the hostility of your hand. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. Like, do something with my weeping. And the only reason he can say that is because he trusts his God, because he has hope in his God. And again, there's aspects of this where like he, know, he can say, God, deliver me from all my transgressions because he knows that his God is a God of deliverance. And so then he knows that, so he has hope in his God, and then he can then turn around and say, Lord, I know you're a God of deliverance, so now deliver me. Right? Or I, God, I know that, that you, you don't let your people be looked on as fools forever, that there will be justice. And so now I trust you in that. I have hope in that. Now, now do that, Lord. Do that work for me now. Or I know that you're a God who hears our prayers and who acts on our behalf. I have hope in that. I have faith in that. So now, Lord, hear my prayer. Right? See how that all kind of comes back around that hope allows us to ask God to do the very things that he's promised to do. And then that hope gives us the strength to wait for God to do those things that he's promised to do. We can trust him in it. Then That means we can ask him for it. And then that hope then gives us strength to wait for it to come. And then don't miss this line. I didn't necessarily like how the NIV translated it, but I love how the ESV translates it. It says, this is right in the middle at the end of the psalm. He says, I am mute. I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. And I think something happened because it's very different from the first time where he said, I will keep my mouth silent. Now he says, God, you've done something and now I'm going to be quiet. Now I'm going to wait in silence. I'm, I'm going to be truly silent, body and soul, as, as I wait for you because now I've, I've seen who you are. I've been reminded that you're a God of deliverance and you're, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And now my soul can sit in silence as I wait for you. And I don't know how many... I, I mentioned Charles Spurgeon quite a bit. He's like the epitome of pastoral one-liners, right? He's from the the 1800s, but he had this great line. He said, nature failed to muzzle the mouth 
but grace achieved the work in the worthiest manner. I just love that. He's like, like, he tried to do it himself and he couldn't do it. He wasn't strong enough, but God's grace came in and he shut his mouth and gave him true, true silence in that moment. And, and what's powerful with all of this is this, this reminded me of a, a passage from the book of Lamentations, um, where like the book of Lamentations is a short book. It's five chapters long, but it's five chapters of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it's like the type of suffering that, that none of us have ever experienced, where like mothers are eating their children because the suffering is so bad. Um, and it's five chapters of that with a few little chapters of hope in the middle. Um, but just to realize how deep the suffering and how deep the despair is um, when this passage I'm going to show you comes up is powerful. But then look again how they're looking, look to see how this person's finding hope in, in the midst of that kind of despair. They say, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope, right? So they're saying, I need to remember something so that I can have hope. I'm going to remember that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, even now in this. I'm going to remember that His mercies never come to an end, right? I'm going to remember that they're new every morning. I'm going to remember that great is my God's faithfulness. I'm going to remember that the Lord is my portion, and I'm going to tell my soul, the Lord is your portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him, because the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And then this line, it is good that the one should wait quietly, silently, for the salvation of the Lord. It's the same thing that we're seeing in this psalm, isn't it? Where, like, they're in deep darkness, they're in despair, they're, they're in trial, and, and feeling like hope is, is kind of fading away and not sure how to wait. And so they say, in that, here's how I will have hope. I will remind myself who my God is. I'll remind myself that He's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. I'll, that His mercies are new every morning. I'll remind myself that God is my portion, that, that He is enough for me. Or as our psalm, psalmist says today, I'll remind myself that my God doesn't fade away like the rest of this earth, but that he's an eternal, firm, unshakable rock. And in that, I'll put my hope. And in that, I can... And then when I put my hope in that, it comes through and it just quiets and stills my soul so that my soul can wait and my mouth, <laughs> my words can make wait body and soul and I can sit in silence now as I wait for the Lord to answer and, and to bring about his salvation. And you know I, I was thinking of course about Christmas because this is what we're in. Um, and like the Christmas season is a huge reminder for these things. One of, one of the things that and this isn't a bad emphasis but one of the things we emphasize a lot during Advent and during Christmas is is, you know, Jesus taking on flesh, becoming a human and joining us, coming into this world. And I think that's a, that's a good thing. We should remember that. But what we don't talk about often enough is why he came. That actually Jesus came and was born and he lived and he died and he rose again so that we could actually live beyond this life. 
It's actually a reminder that this life that's fleeting and fading away, that's like a breath or a shadow, isn't everything. It's a reminder to us that there's actually more to life after this life. And, and, and it's a reminder that, that really often what we think are our biggest problems are not our biggest problems. Um, that most of the things that we get so wound up about and so worried about are the things of this earth that are fading away, uh, that are going to disappear. And, and we end up then just kind of spending our lives chasing after shadows. I think Spurgeon gave the analogy of shadows chasing shadows with death right on their heels. Um, and that's life. And and you just chase around trying to find hope in the midst of all of these things that are fading. And you try to grab something. Like maybe this will be hope for me. And then it just kind of crumbles through your fingers. And maybe I could find hope here and it fades away. And maybe I could find hope in wealth or money or power or prestige or, or whatever. Maybe I can find hope in all these things. And yet they just fade away and slip through your fingers. And, and you find out that there's no hope there. Because there's no firmness in it. There, there's no hope in anything that fades away because it will always disappear. It will always let you down. The only place we can truly find hope, like a real hope, is in an eternal, unshakable God. And, and in a God who sent His Son into the world to live and die and rise again for the complete forgiveness of our sins when we look to Him in faith. Um, and, and that hope then trickles down into every aspect of our life because that hope shows us that God took care of our biggest problem. And if he's, able, if he's willing and able to take care of our biggest problem, guess what? He's willing and able to take care of all the other piddly things that we worry about as well. And so we have hope to keep waiting because we know he took care of the biggest problem, my sin. He's, he's took care of this issue of this life and brought me into eternity with Him. And now all of the struggles, all of the frustrations that I have now, He will take care of them in His way and in His time. And so we wait. But we don't just wait as those who have no hope. We wait with hope like Abraham did, fully convinced that God is able to do what He's promised to do. And so we keep waiting with that hope and joy um, with our eyes on him. And, and as we wait, we wait in silence. Um, not in silence up here, <laughs> in silence here, in silence in our mouth, because we trust our God. We say, I, I will wait for you to come and to answer my prayers. I will wait for you to bring salvation in your time, and I will wait for you, as Advent is a reminder, I'll wait for you now, and I will wait for you to come again one day when you'll make all things new, and you'll set up creation to last for eternity. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you're our God. We're thankful that you Remind us over and over how um, frail and short and fleeting we are, um, but how firm and, and eternal you are. And Father, we're, we're thankful for that. And yet, we, we come to you and we confess that 
Often we don't live that way. Often we live like we will go on for eternity, like, like our lives are, are long and, and they take forever and so we can just do whatever. And yet, Father, we, we ask your forgiveness for that. And we ask your forgiveness for living in this world like, like we're eternal and, and not trusting in you. Or we ask your forgiveness for, for trying to find hope and comfort and all of the, the fleeting and, and fading things of this world. And Father, we ask your forgiveness for that. And we're thankful that you give it. Um, but Father, we want more than just forgiveness. We, we truly want to be able to live in this world in a way that shows that we have our hope is in you. And that we can wait in, in silence and, and in hope for your salvation. So, so Father, send your spirit to us and, and kind of reshape and reform our hearts so that our hope lands in the right place, that it lands on your firm and unshakable uh, character. Um, and then give us hope to, to live and to wait for your salvation in this world and help us to wait body and soul and help us to be silent and quiet body and soul as well. And may you receive all the glory and the honor and praise as a result. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.